How's it going today, guys? We're back here live in the studio once again for an episode of Hot Takes with TP3. I'm your host, Thomas Penland, joined once again by Austin Clark. Austin, say what's up to the people. Yo, what is up? Thanks for having me again, Thomas. I always love being on the podcast. Hey, you know, it's a pleasure to have you again, Austin. We got a lot to discuss. You know, I think we both did pretty well on our bets last week. I destroyed the NFL, college football, not as much, but, you know, college is a lot harder game. There's some, the bad beat dogs got us big time this last week. It feels like they do every week, which is kind of starting to piss me off. How'd you do? You know, uh, actually on the college football, I did not do so great, but I made up for all my uh, all my mistakes on Sunday and then doubled down on Monday night with the Browns and uh, came out on top. So I'm looking pretty good. Looking forward to this next week. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this next week a lot. I did a good bit of uh, research today, looked at a lot of lines, like some stuff early, but yeah, you know, I hit all three of my max bets in the NFL this week. Last week, which felt good. Ended up going six and three. That one of those losses that was on the Panthers on Thursday night, which kind of sucked. But you know, other than that, it was a pretty good week. But let's get down to it. We got some good topics for y'all today. And our first topic, we're going to start things out with is we'll start with Thursday night, like I said. And you know, Cam Newton was absolutely awful in this game on Thursday night. I think this is one of the worst games I've ever seen him play as a starting quarterback in the league. And um, brings up the question, Austin, do you think Cam Newton will be a starting quarterback in the NFL next year? You know, as bad as Cam Newton played this past Thursday, he will be the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers next year. And the reason why is because maybe some NFL experts like you might be able to tell me, but the average NFL fan doesn't even know who the backup quarterback is, Taylor Henneke. I mean, I, I didn't even know who the guy was until I looked him up. But there's no way that that Haneke's going to come in there and take Cam Newton's spot, you know, uh, and, and fill his shoes when Cam Newton has a contract, you know. Yeah, you know, um, just like you said, I mean, I actually don't think Heineke's your backup quarterback anymore. I believe it's Will Greer, but he was last year. Kind of funny, though. Heineke's from, uh, he went to Collins Hill, so he's right down the road from you. <laughs> you know, I actually went to Peachy Ridge for two years, and Collins Hill was our rival. So, no respect for Tyler Hennick- Taylor Henneke. Can't even get his name right because that's how much disrespect I have for the man. Dude, I don't even know who the backup quarterback is for the Panthers. You best believe that Cam Newton's going to be starting for the Carolina Panthers next year. Look, you know, my my takeaway here with Cam Newton is he's banged up. You know, like, I don't think he's healthy at all. And I think that that's the main reason, you know, why that he struggled in this game is because he's not healthy. You know, when when I look at Cam Newton's performance, I mean, it was absolutely miserable. Cam Newton's not the kind of guy you want throwing the ball 51 times. He might have thrown for 303 yards, had no interceptions. But, you know, he was missing wide open receivers by a long shot. And it just – what you say? Nothing. Keep going. Oh, I thought you said something. But um, anyway, you know, I just feel like that Cam, you know, he's – He's not a pocket passer. He has to run the ball. When I see Cam Newton play at his best, it's when he's running the ball, he's getting first downs, you know, he's pointing, he's celebrating. That's the Cam Newton that I know. He's a run-first kind of guy. He uses the run to make you pack the box, and he throws in those one-on-one coverages and eats you up and hits McCaffrey out of the backfield. And, you know, when he's just sitting back there in the pocket throwing the ball and the defense is back, drop back, playing cover three, when, they're not, when they don't have to respect him running the ball, he's no threat. And, 
you know, I think unless Cam Newton's able to run the ball around and be healthy, that he shouldn't start. I'm not saying that I think that Will Greer's better than him and should start over him. I'm just saying I would sit Cam Newton, which the rumors have come out this week that he might not play this week because of the injury. And look, I wouldn't play him either. He's not a pass first guy. So I would rather have Cam Newton get healthy, get back right, and then come back in and do his thing. But ultimately, I think he'll be the Panthers starting quarterback next year. I think they know this as well as any of us do. And if he's not the Panthers starting quarterback, I think he'll start somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things I want to hone on here is that there is a big uh, translation that needs to that needs to take place from being a college quarterback and being an NFL quarterback. You might have the height and the weight and the arm to be an an NFL quarterback, but just because you have all those things doesn't mean that all those things are going to translate well to the NFL. And I think that that's maybe something that we're seeing here with Cam Newton. We're seeing a guy that is the height is the weight is the the persona the the box office guy with the arm and the legs but it's just not translating well in the nfl it's not working um and i i don't know if that's that's the carolina panthers offensive line i don't know if, if that's the offensive coordinator um but we saw these things that cam newton is doing right now in the nfl that he did in college and it worked successfully so why is it not translating and i think that uh, I think uh, that the Carolina Panthers and a lot of teams need to start maybe putting some stock into the future of their franchises instead of having the win-now mentality. Yeah, well, you know, the Panthers did kind of do that by drafting Will Greer. I think they got him in the third round. That's what they're hoping he can be is their future of their team if Cam Newton can't carry him. But I do agree with you. Look, I think you can't bring in a college quarterback and try to make them fit into your system. You have to adjust the system to fit them, which we've seen a lot of these teams do with the air raid and more of these college systems. Like we've seen guys like Lamar and Josh Allen, who we'll get to in our next segment, succeed, even Baker Mayfield with these kind of you know offensive systems they've been running here. But, I mean, ultimately – I think Cam Newton, you know, he definitely had success in the NFL. I mean, for crying out loud, he won the MVP of the league. You know, I think that it just comes down to if Cam's healthy or not. If Cam can't run the ball, then he can't play. You know, when he can run the ball, run the ball, he seems to dominate and play. I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily dominate, but he's definitely a respectable quarterback and one of the better quarterbacks in, the, I mean, top 10, top 12 guy in the league when he can run the ball and be the Cam Newton we usually see who's running around, you know, at the pointing at the first down, dabbing, doing all that kind of stuff. You know, when he's, when he's able to do that, he's the Cam Newton needs to be. But if he can't run around, there's no point in having him out there because he's not a pocket passer. And the offensive line definitely does suck. I can definitely agree with you on that. The offensive line looked horrible. Yeah, absolutely. I think that they're going to keep him around until uh, he's healthy. Maybe tell him that he's in the hot seat, that he's got maybe, I don't know if it's a contract year or whatever, but uh, wait till Cam's healthy, whether it be this year or next year. You know, I don't know what exactly their mentality is for this week, but I think that ultimately the Panthers will hold on to Cam Newton and let him get healthy and uh, give him a chance to, to prove himself. And if he doesn't, They'll move on. They'll move on to someone like Will Greer or somebody else. Um, but I think they'll they'll at least give them that opportunity. Yeah, you know, the Panthers are going to be in desperation mode this week. 0-2, now they're 0-3. I believe they're on the road at Arizona. So, you know, the Panthers absolutely have to win this game. You can't drop to 0-3. I mean, we saw the Texans come back from the dead last year of 0-4. Yeah, they're at Arizona. So, you know, this is a game where if they're not able to move the ball, they might find themselves down. I mean, Arizona's defense isn't great, but – Arizona's offense, you know, is going to do something with it. But 
Let's keep moving here. And, you know, we saw two quarterbacks here that have been balling out this season in their second year, and that's Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. And, you know, a lot of people now are wondering, are these guys, you know, Darnold and Baker Mayfield were the higher draft picks and the more highly touted guys. Me personally, I was bigger on Lamar Jackson. and I mean, not Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen coming out. I was the highest on him. So now we've seen Lamar, you know, put up the crazy stats. We've seen him actually be able to throw the ball. And, you know, like that throw he made to Hollywood Brown to kind of clinch the game where he hit him downfield. You know, that was a throw that I did not expect to see Lamar Jackson doing. And he's been throwing the ball very, very well. Look, my thing is here, I definitely think these guys are the best of their class right now today. But... You know, it's a long season. There's a lot left. Baker, he's got to cut down on the turnovers since he came into the league. He has the he's tied for the most turnovers in the league. We even saw him throw a stupid pick last night, although it wasn't as much his fault because it kind of got deflected. But Baker's got to got to kind of you know cut down on throwing those interceptions. And if Lamar can keep you know throwing the ball efficiently like he has been with his legs, you know he's going to be able to keep the defense honest and he's going to be tough to stop. But Josh Allen's the guy I really want to talk about. You know, I feel like the Bills have formed this offense towards him. Like we saw him run for that first for that touchdown where they had the running backs out there blocking for him. I really feel like the Bills scheme and make everything easier to fit his skill set. He's another guy who he can get out in the open field and just gash you running the ball. Look, he's not the best passer, but he's definitely good enough. And everyone's thing against him was that he's not an accurate passer. He played at freaking Wyoming for crying out loud. Who's he throwing the ball to? You know, none of these guys are going to the league. I think Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson will lead their respective teams to the playoffs this season. But, you know, I really feel like that Lamar, we haven't seen him play anybody yet. I mean, Arizona and uh, Miami are arguably two of the worst defenses. I mean, Miami's probably the worst defense in the league. Arizona not too far behind him. You know, they even got gashed up by the Lions last week. So, I don't know. I want to see a little bit more from Lamar. I'm still under... You know, I still feel like Lamar will get figured out as the season will go on. But if he can keep throwing the ball the way he has, there's no figuring him out. Yeah, I think those are some really good takeaways. I think they, they were right. As, as of today, Lamar and Josh Allen are the two better quarterbacks um, out of that draft class. Um, but what I think that this boils down to is expectations. The expectations of these two quarterbacks when we have guys like Michael Vick tell you that Lamar Jackson is the closest thing that we've seen since a player like Michael Vick, you're setting the bar pretty high. And then we're going to sit back and we're going to think when we're watching Lamar Jackson, this is the closest thing to Michael Vick that we've seen since Michael Vick. Those are high expectations and those are big shoes to fill. But when you have a guy like Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming, what are the expectations? And if anything, he's exceeded those expectations in his time in Buffalo so far. Now, the only thing I will say about these two quarterbacks is maybe we're getting a little too far ahead of ourselves. I mean, the Buffalo Bills played the Jets in week one and the Giants in week two. And we have the Ravens. I don't know who they played. Uh, the Dolphins in week one and the Cardinals in week two. Let th those. I mean, both of those, all four of those teams are – you know, at the bottom of the NFL right now. So we're, that's not really, really saying much, not proving much. Um, I'm really looking forward to see what the Ravens do uh, this upcoming week against the Chiefs. And uh, I still think that Josh Allen has some some work to do. They have, they're they playing the Bills this upcoming week, but the, the, the following week they'll be playing the Patriots. And I think that's when we'll really see a nice AFC, uh, AFC uh, what is that, the AFC West? Matchup. No, they're the uh, AFC, AFC North? East. AFC East matchup. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely agree with you. I want to see more from both these guys. Josh Allen definitely is a little dangerous with the way he runs the football. And, I mean, I do agree with you. The Jets and the Giants are kind of garbage, so we definitely do need to see a little bit more from these guys. But, you know, I was never really that high on Darnold coming out, and I still stay with that standpoint. I think that Allen is the top of the class. I always liked him the most. I mean, I think Lamar is limited, and I think Baker has a lot of potential. He's just got to cut down on those interceptions still. But, I mean, he's definitely a leader, which is what I like to see a lot with his team. But, you know, Josh Allen as well is a leader, and you can tell that him and Cole Beasley, like, they got some good chemistry. You can tell that he knows that he can go to Beasley when he wants to. He likes to take more looks downfield, which is what I like to see a lot more, too. You know, this is a fun – it's a fun group of four rookie quarterbacks that we really have right here. I've never seen a class with that good of four rookie quarterbacks come out, and I think all these guys are still going to keep on getting better and improving more. As of right now, though, I mean, I – I don't want to overreact to the small sample size we've seen and we, the bad teams we've seen these guys go up against. But as of right now, I would still put Josh Allen at number one, and then I would have Lamar at two and just Baker at three just because he's been turning the ball over more. But I want to see more from Lamar as the season goes on. If the Ravens are still able to play well like that, and honestly, this week at Kansas City will be a – I think that might be the best game on the entire NFL card to watch as a fan, you know, like – Kansas City's defense is not good. I think Lamar is going to be able to run and throw yeah. all over him. I think this game, it's going to be who has the ball last, not whose defense can I, get the stop. I'm very, I'm very tempted to take that uh, Baltimore Ravens plus seven line, let me tell you. I'm definitely taking it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, having the Ravens plus the points with a weak uh, Chiefs defense. And one thing I will say, a little little teaser here, is it possible that Jalen Ramsey gets traded to the Chiefs? I mean, that'd be crazy. I don't know how exactly how the salary cap would match up, but I mean, if Kansas City adds him in there, it's it, it's honestly kind of cool to me with these players moving. I know a lot of people hate it, but I kind of like it. It kind of gives more of an like NBA it. aspect. Like, you know, you go all in on winning and you go get the players you need in trades and players one in and out. I like the promotion of these NFL players' personalities and stuff. I know a lot of people hate it because football is like the ultimate team sport, but I kind of like players promoting themselves and players wanting to win and having no business, you know, like Mika Fitzpatrick getting traded to the Steelers, you know, like I kind of like that. Yeah, absolutely. I was definitely, uh, you actually just stole one of my three takeaways from the weekend is that the NFL is on the rise. We're seeing um, a league that's acting more and more like an NBA league, uh, but with a salary cap. So it's really kind of interesting to see the way that this has unfolded. I mean, week two last year, like, we didn't have this much go on. We didn't have the whole Antonio Brown debacle. None of uh, none of, none of, of the um, occurrences last season, you know, were as exciting as it's been this year. Yeah, you know, and I think it's smart for the NFL. The NBA offseason and the NBA itself obviously took a lot of viewers and a lot more attention than it usually does. I mean, all sports reporters were talking about and like uh, talk show guys were talking about how the NBA had just grown so much and how much more popular it is now and how big the NBA offseason is. And I think it's a good thing for the NFL that these personalities are coming, are, you know, getting more attention and bringing more attention to themselves. It's only better for the league. And that's what I like to see as the league grow. I really want to see baseball do it too, where they promote their stars like that. And, you know, the only thing is that they have 10-year contracts, so we don't see players move around as much. But let's keep things moving here. And with our last topic, before we get to our three takeaways from the weekend, and that is, are who's in more trouble right now, the Steelers or the Saints? I'll let you start with this one, Austin. You know, this is interesting. Um, as far as short term, I think the Saints are, in, are maybe in some more trouble. Um, 
I say that in a standpoint of the expectations on Teddy Bridgewater and uh, the pressure of in the the uns- un- unsurety being being so unsure of of uh, when Drew Brees exactly will return. Uh, what I like here is that the Steelers don't have as much pressure as they have had before. You had Mike Tomlin, a coach that has never had a losing season. You know, it maybe has expectations to make the playoffs. Now that Big Ben is out for the season, I think that a lot of those expectations from Steeler fans have uh, have decreased. Um, we're not seeing... We're, we're not expecting Mike Tomlin to ha- necessarily have a winning squad with the team that he has right now. And I think that gives Mike Tomlin a little bit of breathing room to say, all right, here's the, the young core that I have. Just picked up a guy like Mika Fitzpatrick. I got a young guy in Juju Smith-Schuster. I don't have the pressure of have, having to have a winning season. I'm going to develop these guys and look forward to the future. So I think in the long term, it's really good for the Steelers. We're not seeing that kind of – the Saints are in a win-now situation. And so I think there's a lot of pressure there. I think that Teddy Bridgewater is going to be a good quarterback to have. I think that – I'm pretty sure he's the highest-paid backup quarterback in the league, um, and rightfully so. He, he could have gone to Miami this past year, made a really good decision not to go to Miami. Um, yeah, really good. So – I mean, I I think that uh, T- Teddy Bridgewater necessarily uh, won't won't be a a problem. I think he'll fit into uh, Sean Payton's system very well. I think he knows the offense, and uh, with when you, you have guys like Michael Thomas and uh, Alvin Kamara, you know, uh, on, with you on with the football, you know, you can still get things done. Yeah, you know, I'd make the argument the Saints have kind of turned to being a lot more, you know, like short passing team with Drew Brees' arm strength not quite being what it is. And, you know, quite frankly, the Saints can't throw the ball down the field and get the explosive plays like they used to. They're more of a run team where they would just pound you with Ingram and Kamara, and then they would find Michael Thomas on third downs when they need him because he's a big body, and occasionally, you know, he'll break that big run. But I feel like they're more of a short passing team, which fits Bridgewater a lot. I think he's kind of the better guy here to replace Drew Brees. But, I mean, they got to run the gauntlet here on this schedule. At Seattle, I don't think that's a game they can win without Drew Brees. At home versus Dallas, you know, Dallas's offense looks unbelievable. I still want to see more before I can buy on Dallas just because, I mean, they beat the crap out of the freaking Redskins. And who was it they beat this last week? Um, uh, or it was the Redskins Dallas. they beat this last week. But the Redskins and the Giants, you know, it's not like they're doing it against the top-tier teams in the league. And then you got Tampa Bay, but at Jacksonville, at Chicago, you know, it's a, it's a tough kind of gauntlet for them to run here without him. And, and then, I could honestly, easily see, you know, it's a good thing they won that first game against the Texans. But see, the big thing is here, they're getting their quarterback back. And on the flip side of things, the Steelers aren't. I think the Steelers' season is absolutely done here without Ben Roethlisberger. I think Mason Rudolph will be decent, but I think 6-10, and 10, you know, 5-11 and 11 is kind of what the Steelers will go this year. I think they're more so, not. I wouldn't say in tank mode, but they're they're just going to try and see what they can get out of what they have and evaluate and see who they want to have back and what they want to do next year. It's a it's a tough loss for the Steelers. You know, I'm a big, big Ben fan. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks in the league. I've been watching him play for a long time. And, you know, it's kind of sad to me to see Big Ben go down like this and to see that this could – I mean, I like the fact that he at least said that he plans on playing next season. I would never want to see somebody, especially Big Ben, go out like that. But – 
I think the Steelers are much worse off here, but I mean, I don't think the Saints, the Saints are definitely going to have to hit a hot streak when Drew Brees gets back and they're going to be in it, but I don't know how much they're going to be in it. Yeah, I definitely going to have to hit up a hot streak and I definitely think that's going to be one of the problems that the Saints face. Like as soon as Drew Brees gets back, you're going to have to expect him to almost be flawless because I think you're going to be playing the Falcons twice in like a four game stretch, you know, and that's NFC South division games that you got to win and you know they might win that game i'm 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 predicting they'll probably win that game against the bucks but if cam newton gets healthy and you have teddy bridgewater back there you know there's no telling what might happen yeah you know i agree with you on that i mean you gotta you gotta keep playing it out the way it is um bridgewater i think will do a decent job here i mean just the way the schedule looks, I think that he'll, you know, I think they'll definitely have be below 500 when he gets back. But I think the Steelers are substantially worse off here. I mean, the season's completely done for Pittsburgh. They can't even think about the playoffs. Plus, they're 0-2 rather than the fact the Saints are 1-1. One one. So, you know, it sucks seeing players go down like this and seeing quarterbacks go down. I hate seeing it for the sport. It's not as fun for the league. But let's move here now to our three takeaways from, you know, the weekend we had in football for college or for NFL. And you want to go back to the one you brought up earlier, Austin, first? Yeah, NFL is on the rise. We are seeing uh, trends in the NFL that we have not seen in years, and it's very, it's very NBA like. It's very uh, box office. It's very superstar savvy, and I love it. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. I like the fact that they're moving back towards it. Like I said, you know, it's moved. The NBA is all about their stars. You know, you got. Guys demanding trades. You got the whole Anthony Davis thing. You know, he's the biggest star on sports. And then you see Antonio Brown do it from the other side. Antonio Brown did a great job of doing all that while he was on hard knocks and making. I mean, Antonio Brown absolutely blew himself up. You know, it's no, it's no by chance that he's doing all this on social media and posting all that stuff on social media while he's on the biggest football show, you know, there is in the preseason. He's just helping grow his brand and make himself bigger and bigger. And I'm all for it. You know, they say that NBA players in the NFL, like Odell Beckham, Antonio Brown, those are really the only ones, and I'm all for there being more. I think Jalen Ramsey's up there with coming in with the Brinks truck, and now what's going on with the trade demand, and I think the NFL needs it. And, you know, there's a certain point in time. You know, everything in life is about innovating and getting better and changing and adjusting to adapting to the time. I feel like the NBA, I mean, the NFL had come, become a little outdated, and the NBA, you know, had changed and adjusted and adapted with time, and I feel like the NFL now is finally – kind of doing the same thing where it's getting everybody back, you know, and it's changing with time. Yeah, absolutely. I maybe don't necessarily agree with Antonio Brown and the way that he has marketed himself, but I definitely agree in the sense that more and more NFL players are starting to, to market themselves and see themselves as a brand. And that's something that's, um, that's paying dividends for them, not only financially, but also like, uh, popularity wise and when when that happens I think that it's good you know if you're a great role model I think that's good for like the the, the youth of our generation and uh, I think it's great to look up and admire the people that uh, that are professionals and do their job a job efficiently I think that um, maybe baseball should take some notes and possibly um, move, maybe move towards that kind of forum because baseball definitely has a, a problem with viewership and um, an age interest. 
Yeah, baseball's problem, though, is mainly just those, you know, those 10-year contracts. You don't really see players change teams as much, and there's players who stay with teams for too long, although I'm not complaining because I'm happy the Braves got Acuna locked down for the next <laughs> 10 years, and we got Ozzy for the next five, so... You know, I'm definitely not complaining there. Like, I feel like that's what makes the NBA so much bigger is all these players changing teams, and we're seeing it a little bit more in the NFL with guys like Odell, Le'Veon, A.B., all them changing teams, some of the bigger names and more fun and exciting players to watch in the league. But let's move here now. I'm going to give one of my takeaways, and one of my biggest takeaways from the weekend is Carson Wentz will not be able to hold up for a whole 16-game season. I mean, we've seen him the last two years not be able to make it, and then that game last night – you know, we saw like his recklessness. I mean, I guess that was on Sunday night. He, I mean, Carson Wentz is not scared to stand in there and take hits, which, you know, I applaud him for, and I respect the hell out of it that he's able to take those hits like that. But it's stupid. You know, we saw him. His ribs did not look right. He was over there wincing. Have you get my joke, Carson Wentz wincing? But <laughs> over there on the sidelines, you know, he clearly did not look right, and he can't hold up like that. And the Eagles need him in there. When he's in there playing quarterback to the best of his ability, the team's good. But also that is kind of what makes Carson Wentz so great is his ability to run and not care and take those big hits even when he was in college at North Dakota State he missed time and I think this will kind of be a problem that he's gonna to have to deal with for his whole career yeah absolutely I think that what it really boils down to is I mean I don't know if the, that Eagles offensive line was just atrocious on Sunday night or what but you have to do a better job of protecting your quarterback especially when you just paid him as much money as they just mm -hmm. did you know that's that's your future that's your franchise you can't and Carson Wentz needs to understand that too. You can't be can't be diving head first for first downs. You know, like this is one game. You, you you can lose the battle and still win the war, kind of thing. And that's something that he should have learned when Nick Foles won a Super Bowl for the Eagles. And that's something that obviously isn't necessarily gone through his head. And I think that as he matures, as he grows and develops as as an NFL quarterback, he'll maybe understand and learn those things. But he still has a lot of. Uh, uh, learning and, and some more experience to gain. Yeah, see, I agree with you that it's definitely reckless and it's stupid, but I feel like you can't ask a guy to not play the way that makes him play to the best of his ability, kind of like Cam trying to make him a pocket passer. You know he can't do it. You know he needs to run around. Wentz can throw from the pocket, but, you know, Wentz's legs and him making those big plays is what energizes the team, energizes him. You know, that's what makes him Carson Wentz. So, you know, I definitely do agree with you. I guess he just needs to learn, like, when he needs to slide, you know, when he's making those and be smarter with sliding and, you know, trying to run out of bounds. He just he needs to try to avoid taking the hits. There's nothing wrong with him running. He's just got to avoid those hits in general. But you want to go to your next uh, takeaway? Yeah, my next takeaway is betting on, betting on baseball now is bogus. Like, if you're still betting on baseball, stop because there's no point of doing it until the postseason. Yeah, you know, the chalk's actually looking pretty good tonight so far, but <laughs> I definitely do agree with you. I don't really see any point in betting on baseball anymore. I retired for the season at 56.4%. Uh, it was a pretty decent season. I think I was like 300. It was, what was it? I'll pull my record up. How, what was your record on the season? Dude, I don't know. I have, I have absolutely no idea. I think I hit somewhere around 64%, though. Dang, well, that's that's definitely very good. Austin Austin did have a good season. I saw you hit what it was a uh, plus a hundred units betting ten dollar units. Is that what it was? Yeah, hundred units doing uh, ten dollar units in twelve weeks. So that was pretty cool. Um, I just wanted to do that to just to be able to show everybody that like you don't have to to bet the bank, you know, on a daily or weekly basis. Like you can have ten dollars in your bankroll. And that $10 can go a long way. And uh, 
I'm glad that I was able to show that it was kind of possible and be able to track it and everything like that. And um, it, it's really not that hard. I just wish that more people would uh, be interested and get involved. Yeah, no, you definitely, you killed it this season. You had a great season. I went 392 at 303 and 18 for 56.4% plus uh, 45.9 units. You know, I can definitely say next year I'm going to move more to like a post of the day or like maybe take like two baseball bets a night. It's too stressful than making that many. It feels good to have nothing out today. Yeah, I feel like uh, I might have had like at the most three or four plays a day, and I think that you were cranking out like sometimes like eight or 12. So like I think that the – so I, that's something I've kind of like a philosophy I've kind of adopted recently too is the philosophy of like instead of having like one or, or ten like one unit bets out like I'd rather just have like two like five unit bets out you know like I'd rather mm-hmm. just put the money in two pots and just send it out rather than, than dividing my money and putting putting it in different places I know there's value in places but you just got to choose like in my opinion of like what do you think is your best bet? Take it. If it's your best bet and you're confident with it, like sometimes you have really good bets and they just don't hit. Just accept the fact that it was a good bet. It didn't hit. Just move on from it, you know? Yeah, that's one of the most frustrating things, though. It'll definitely keep you up at night. It's kept me up a couple times already during this college football season, watching them get blown <laughs> like that. But, yeah, you know, there's probably points in time at the beginning of the season when all the teams were mispriced where I'd pick, you know, six, seven, eight, nine bets a night and go out there and win them all. And then there is, you know, I had to adjust throughout the season. It was my first time ever doing baseball. I'd sworn I'd never do it. And then I started tracking them at the Same. beginning of the season and saw how much I was winning. And I was like, dang, I need to get involved. And, you know, I definitely figured out I ended up doing like, you know, I ended probably the last like month and a half of the season. I was doing like anywhere from probably three to five bets a night, more so on the three side. And that was when I saw my most success once again. But, yeah, you know, I'm excited for postseason baseball. I will say this, though. I'm not a huge fan of betting on sports that are series. The NBA is by far my best sport. And I just think it's really hard to pick who's going to win each game in the series. So that's that's another thing, too. I probably won't. I mean, I'll definitely get involved in baseball, but I don't know to what extent I will be in the postseason. Um, let's move here now to another one of my observations for the weekend. And mine is we truly don't know what a pass interference or roughing the passer call is. I mean, there was games where I was sitting there watching, like, for example, the Vikings game, when Dalvin Cook just kind of runs into his man in the end zone, and they're only supposed to review contact between the receiver and the defender for pass interference, yet they overturn that call. Then there's one later on in the night in the Falcons game when the defender clearly, you know, he gives Julio Jones a bear hug, and they don't call it pass interference when it's clear and obvious. You know, it really just makes no sense, and I think it's absolutely pointless. The Saints are a bunch of stupid crybabies who one thing doesn't go their way, and they have to make a big freaking deal about it. Like, a bunch of babies they are down in New Orleans. Like, I'm sure they're crying right now about, oh, the NFL screwed us this last week with the Cam Jordan play. Like, get over it, New Orleans. It happens. It's sports. But I just think it's absolutely pointless to review these pass interference calls. Then on the flip side of things with these rough and the passer, like, we don't even know what the calls are. Like, there was that bogus one at the end of the Bears game where Trubisky threw the incomplete pass, and the guy gets pushed into Trubisky. Like, what do you want him to do? There's nothing he can do, and he gets called for rough and the passer. Like, one, it was already a horrible call, and two, he got pushed. You know, I feel like there's really... 
Like, it's all just referees' judgment on that day of what it is, and that's why I think it's stupid to be able to challenge pass interference. And, you know, I don't really think we even know what the call it, – it, it changes game to game, and, you know, you got to hold – it's almost like you hold your breath after every play because you don't know what kind of penalty is going to be called. Anytime there's been a score this weekend in football, the first thing I'm like is, geez, what's the penalty going to be for? Yeah, you're absolutely right in the sense that it's just a catch-22 every single time. I, what I've started to see is that – NFL coaches are using those pass interferences challenges like like a like an investment. Like they're like, all right, this is a good investment of a timeout, kind of. Like if if you can't risk the timeout, then they're not gonna challenge because they, they know that it's a catch twenty two. But if it's like, you know what, we're in the first half here, like kinda like in the Falcons game, like we're in the first half here, that that looked pretty questionable. I'd like to let them have a second look at that. And you know what? It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if I took a, uh, a timeout when I have two remaining in the second quarter with six minutes left and I'm up. You know, like, like it, it, it it's, it's a good, it's kind of like a good bet. You know, like just, just see, see what you can get out of it. If the worst that's gonna happen is your offense gets a breather. You know, and that now, but if you're doing it in a situation where it's a tie game and you only have one timeout left and it's the fourth quarter with 205, you know, maybe you should think about, is that a good time to use your time, your timeout if you don't win that challenge, you know? And so you really got to think about um, the value of your timeouts, I think, from an NFL coaching perspective. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. And it was also worth it too for Dan Quinn to do that when you're backed up in your own, in your own zone and Bosher's got the, bum leg out there punting so you know I definitely agree with you there it's just just kind of stupid to me because it's all judgment and we don't really know what's going to be called game to game like I feel like that was the most clear and obvious pass interference I'd seen all day and they didn't even call it and then on earlier in the day they take away a touchdown for something that's not even close to being clear and obvious so I personally hate it and I think the rule will be gone after the season's over but what's your uh, final takeaway from the weekend my final t- takeaway from the weekend is time for Adam Vinatieri to retire and you're seeing a lot of kickers now with a lot more pressure on their shoulders to make these uh, to make these extra point kicks that are a lot further away than they've really ever been starting last year. And uh, to make these like there's a lot of last second field goals made this week. I think I can think of like three or four off the top of my head. So um, definitely uh, important to have a, a good kicker. And I thought it was kind of funny how. On Sunday, the reporters, you know, asked him about his performance, and he said, you know, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow about it. They're like, tomorrow's an off day, and they're like, he's like, no, I'm going to have a press conference. And so everyone thinks he's going to retire after a horrible performance. He's like, no, I'm, I'm still going to be kicking, you know? And so I'm just like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it made no sense to me either. And Vinatieri's been struggling. You know, he's getting pretty old. I feel like he's kind of like the Brett Favre of kicking. He doesn't know when to hang it up, and it's going to be him. So he's going to kick till that leg falls off. You know, same thing with Brett Favre. He tried to play quarterback till his shoulder fell off, and it happened eventually. So I think it's kind of the same thing for both of them. Um, my final takeaway is Mitch Trubisky is going to be the factor that holds the Bears back this season. I watched, unfortunately, I've watched all of both games the Bears have played this season, and I've unfortunately also watched all of both games the Broncos have played this season, and both have been honestly unwatchable. You know, Trubisky looked awful in that game. He could not hit open receivers. 
Um, felt like he was missing targets down the field the whole game, and I think that the Bears struggled from it. And look, I mean, you're only you're only going to go as far in this league as your quarterback can get you. And this Bears offense has just been stagnant. I mean, Trubisky on the season has thrown for 348 yards, 42 for 72 passing. You know, that's not great. He has no touchdowns and interception. He's been sacked five times. You know, Trubisky's the kind of guy who's better off when he runs the ball. He only has two. He only has four attempts running the ball all season long. I feel like he needs to try to use his legs more and make. More more plays, but ultimately, you know, the Bears straight up screwed their entire team up in that draft. You know, they should have drafted Deshaun Watson or Dak Prescott instead of Trubisky, and that ends up, actually, I guess Deshaun, or I guess Dak Prescott was the draft, yeah, Dak Prescott was the draft for that, but by not drafting um, Deshaun Watson in that draft, that's honestly the main factor, you know, that's held this team back and is going to end up hurting them. Look, I just think Trubisky will get better, but as of right now, that offense is horrible and they cannot move up and down the field. That defense is good, but they're going to get tired from being out on the field for so long, and they're not going to have the kind of takeaway differential like they did last year. And just the fact of life, Bears fans. Yeah, I am not sold on the Bears this season. I think that they'll hit their under of their win total, and I think their defense is not as good as everyone makes it out to be. Um, I, I'm just not high on the Bears. I agree. Only as far as Mitch Trubisky takes him. Yeah, you know, I was. I think their defense is legit. I just don't think you can be much better than their defense was last year. You know, and like for example, in this game against Denver, the altitude caught up to him, and they ended up getting tired at the end of the game. You saw Khalil Mack sitting out plays on that final drive, and you saw. The uh, Broncos get a couple fourth downs. I was holding a Broncos plus three ticket in my back pocket. So, you know, I was sitting there with my fingers crossed watching that game, the potential game-winning drive there by Joe Flacco that was robbed, that was taken away from. But, you know, the Bears' offense looks stagnant. And unless we see drastic improvement, this team will for sure miss the playoffs. Like, I know I don't want to overreact to certain things, but when an offense looks that bad back-to-back weeks and we already had a lot of question marks about how it was going to be, I think it is kind of time to react. I mean – it's they really need to get on track this week, and if they don't, then I think that it's going to be a very, very rough season for Chicago. I mean, they're already zero and two. You know, you can't really afford to go zero and three in this league. Yeah, it's hard to bounce back from zero and three. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult task to do. Um, I'm trying to think, there was one other topic I'd pop into my head, but I forgot what it was. You got anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? We can probably fit one more thing in. Um. No, not really, dude. Uh, dude, actually, the only thing I'd like to hit is like these uh, these NFL one and one teams. Um, you got you got the Raiders, Chargers, Browns, Colts, Texans, Titans in the AFC, and in the NFC you have the Eagles, Vikings, Bears, Bucks, Falcons, and Saints. And I think that all six uh in each in each division each conference um their seasons are going to go one way or the other you know uh and so i think it's gonna be interesting to kind of see how that pans out like i think that the bears i think their season uh what are they no, are they not they're not are they one and one now yeah because they, they beat the broncos oh yeah i, I didn't um, mean to, i i counted that one as a loss that was my bad yeah it, you're good and, uh, like, I think their season will probably go south, whereas, like, the Vikings, like, I can see their season getting a lot better. I think that last week might have been, like, maybe, like, a fluke for, fluke for the Vikings. The Eagles, maybe their season goes south from now. It's all going to be dependent, I think, on Carson Wentz and uh, if their offense can get healthy. 
And then you got teams like the Saints. Like, I don't know what the Saints are going to do. The Bucks, we can probably assume that they're going to – they're on the down. They're, they're on the, the tanking side of things. I think that Jameis Winston's just about done in, uh, in Tampa Bay. What do you think about that? I think Jameis still got a little bit of time left. I wouldn't give up on him yet. I still think he's a good prospect. I still think he's going to continue to grow and get better in this Bruce Arians offense. And I think the Buccaneers are still a threat down there. You know, I, w- I wouldn't count him out at all. I, I was honestly, I'm not going to lie, I was the most scared of Tampa Bay of any team in our entire division because I think that really with those offensive weapons that they have with guys like O.J. Howard, Cameron Brait, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, I mean, I don't think their run game is fantastic, but Bruce Arians is a great offensive mind, and I've seen him scheme and do lots of great things with a lot of underperforming talent in the NFL, and, you know, he really scared me. I mean, Jameis has a big arm, and he's a gunslinger. The problem is he just can't, he turns the ball over way too much. That's always been his problem is those turnovers, and I just feel like if Bruce Arians is somehow, you know, able to cater to Jameis his problems and make whatever it's easier reads for him or a easier offense for him to run. I feel like they were a real dangerous team, but you know, I I agree with you though. It's going to be interesting to see how a lot of these uh, a lot of these zero and two teams and one and one teams play this week in the NFL. You know, all those teams are really on the hot seat because nobody wants to go you know, go below five hundred and going into week four. And as the season progresses, you know, everybody wants to continue. Everyone wants to stay on that winning side as much as they possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be interesting to see what pans out this weekend. Yeah, and I also think college football gets a little bit better this weekend as well because you actually have some decent matchups. That was what I want to talk about. I think this last weekend of college football is probably one of the worst slates of games I've ever seen. Like, I feel like college football, either week two or three, just always is a horrible slate where you just don't even want to watch any of the games because nobody's playing anybody. And I feel like this week we get a lot better games. Like, I'm glad Georgia is playing a good team this week. Alabama, unfortunately, won't be able to find out much about them. But I think after this week, I'm ready to dive a little bit more into college football talk. Right now, we're still trying to feel the teams out and stuff. Next week, I feel like I'll have a much better grasp on a lot of these teams. Yeah, Michigan-Wisconsin is this Saturday at noon. I'm really looking forward to that. I think that's going to be a good game. Tennessee and Florida is always usually a pretty good SEC matchup. Um, Unfortunately, Tennessee absolutely blows. You got Auburn and Texas A&M kicking off at 3.30. Um, It should be, like you said, Georgia and Notre Dame. You know that I'm hyped for that. Um, One thing I will say about that Georgia and Notre Dame game, I was very disappointed in the way that Jake Fromm played. Um, He was not a very good passer. I think George, George Pickens really picked up the slack for him in the passing game. Um, was not hitting the right shoulders, um, not hitting receivers in stride. Uh, if he plays like that this week, I don't think that Georgia covers the spread. Um, I mean, our, 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 our running backs are so good that I feel like it, it just makes up for everything else. But my goodness, like we've had Jacob Eason now and – and Justin Fields walk away. And now I'm starting, as as a Georgia fan, I'm starting to question, did we make the right decision with putting all of our eggs in, Jake, in the basket of Jake Fromm? Look, as a Georgia fan, I think you got to look at it this way. He got you all to the Final Four. He got you all to a national championship game. That's something that, you know, we've seen guys like Matthew Stafford, DJ Shockley, David Green. You know, we've seen Georgia have all these – 
highly touted quarterback prospects come through. And, you know, he's really the only one who's been able to get you all to the promised land so far. So I think that's the way you mostly have to look at it from a Georgia fan perspective. And, you know, I think Fromm, you know, I don't think he's as talented as either of those guys, but the thing is he's more efficient and he's the game manager. And I feel like when you have as much talent as he has around him, that's what you need. And, you know, Georgia's got such a big offensive line. I really feel like bullying teams in the trenches and handing the ball off 30, 40 times a game is the best way for y'all to play, you know, and using that play action to eat teams up in the pass game. I feel like that's when Georgia plays their best. But my biggest thing is that Ian Book is not an accurate passer when that he's mm-hmm. when he's playing against teams that can actually, you know, have fast linebackers and fast defensive ends that can keep him from running around with his legs. We saw it against Clemson. I mean, we saw it a little beginning against against freaking Louisville for crying out loud. You know, I really don't think I think Ian Book's a good passer at all. I think he's a good runner. I think he's a horrible passer, though. And I think Georgia's going to expose him. And I actually think the dogs are going to run away with this game. I really think Georgia's going to blow him out. I really hope that they do. I'm actually staying away from the spread on this one just because I'm so skeptical after what I saw last week. I will say that I have already hammered LSU at the spread of 24, playing Vandy this week. They're wearing their alternate uniforms. I think they're going to be hype. Uh, they're playing in Death Valley. Okay. I just uh, I, that was the same spread that that we that Georgia had against them two weeks ago, and uh, Georgia barely covered it. So <laughs> I think that I think that uh, LSU is not going to have a problem at all. To be honest with you. Yeah, you know, I kind of agree with you on that one. I haven't really taken much of a look at that game. But also, I will say this about Georgia not looking great last week. That's a huge look-ahead spot for Georgia, considering who they were playing and who they have up next. You know they didn't give a shit about that game, and all they were doing was getting ready for Notre Dame. So I really feel like college is the number one. Not as much in pro sports, but in college, you know, that look-ahead spot is huge to me. I feel like it, what the matters, the like 99% of what matters when you bet in college is who the first game or who the last team is you played and the next team you play on your schedule. I feel like those are a huge factor, especially when you're talking about college athletes. But that's about all I got for this episode. You got anything else, Austin? I don't got anything else. I appreciate you having me on, man. Hey, I appreciate you coming on once again. We'll uh, do our uh, pick podcast once again later on in the week this week. So you already know we got a lot of good stuff coming for y'all on that. But that's about all we got for y'all. Thanks once again for everyone listening. Austin, plug yourself in. The people, tell them where they can find you on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, if you guys don't mind, go ahead and give me a follow on uh, Instagram at Buzzer Sports or on Twitter at Buzzer Sports. Um, yeah, it's mostly just picks, not, not so much uh, college football talk or anything like that, but um, – uh, I'm always always on, always tweeting at people, so follow me. Yeah, follow me at TP3Wins on Twitter and on Instagram at TP3Bets. Um, that's where I post all my picks. That's where I give you all my talk and all that stuff, so follow me on that. But appreciate everyone tuning in, and we'll see you all.